welcome back to In the Booth, a podcast by the Frederick News Post. My name is Jillian Telsic, and I cover education. In this series, I am sitting down with every one of the 16 candidates who are running for the Frederick County Board of Education. It is a more crowded field than we've seen in many, many years, and there's been a pretty unprecedented amount of money poured into the race so far. With school board elections across the country receiving more attention than ever, we thought it was important to ask each local candidate about the most pressing issues facing Frederick County Public Schools. Today, we have April Montgomery. She is a mom from Brunswick, and she told me that she used to work as a special education instructional assistant out in Colorado, where she used to live. April said that she would prioritize transparency and parents' rights if elected and would work to boost resources for special education teachers, among other things. Hope you all enjoy the conversation. Check back for more. We are going to do all 16. And don't forget, the primaries are July 19th, and early voting begins July 7th. So today we have April Montgomery. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Can you tell me where you're from in the county? I where live, you live now? Yep, I live in Brunswick. Um, originally from the Montgomery County area, but we moved up to Brunswick in March of 2020, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was that like? That was interesting. We were we moved from Colorado. We had lived out there for a while, and so my kids basically went directly into virtual school after moving seventeen hundred miles and remained that way for like a year and a half. Wow, that must have been tough. It was tough, but you know we made it through. And uh, having been an educator, it was it was helpful when they were going through virtual learning to be able to aid them in navigating all of that. Mm-hmm. All right. So the other two basic questions that we're asking every candidate before we kind of dive into the issues is what's your day job and have you ever campaigned for any kind of local office before, either here or elsewhere? I've never even thought of running for office before. Um, I was an educator with the special needs department and I did a kindergarten enrichment program over in Douglas County, Colorado. Um, Great school system over there. Very reminiscent of what we've got going on here in Frederick. But when we moved out here and everything kind of shut down, I again became a stay-at-home mom. And that's what I continue to do is be with my kids and now run for office, which is campaigning as a full-time job. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me about why you're running and what you think the most important issues are? So I decided to run um, in August of 2021, I had gone to a uh, a meeting where they were speaking about school issues and the things that were starting to show up. And having three children in Frederick County, my youngest will actually be starting kindergarten in the fall, but I have a high schooler now and I have a middle schooler and then I'm going to have an elementary school child. So for me, the issues that were popping up that were setting off some red flags once I saw that that was directly related to some of the decisions that the current board was making, I couldn't sit by and just not do something. Having experience in education and being a mom of three, um, especially with everything that was going on with the DOJ report and special needs, there was just no way I could sit idly by and not do something. What are some of these red flags that you're talking about? Well, red flags meaning you're seeing across the country a lot of very divisive material, a lot of social-emotional learning, which is taking over um, actually academics, which is difficult. And I have a, an emotional child, to say the least. <laughs> and she uh, struggles a lot with the fact that the academics have seemed to be taking a backseat. 
The other thing was the over-sexualized material that started to show up in middle school. I sat next to my seventh grader in 2021 and listened to her health class. And during health class, they were talking about some very mature content that I had no idea they were going to be covering. There was no find out first. There was no email. There was no kind of communication. I did not have to opt her in, which I later found out through research. They just don't do it that way anymore. And um, she was visibly uncomfortable. I could, she had her headphones on. She was doing her health class and I could see her kind of cringing. And I could still hear a little bit coming out of her headphones. I said, can you unplug? What are you listening to? She said, it's health class, mom, but it's really weird. So I listened with her. And the content that they were giving 12-year-olds was not necessary. I think at that age, you need to be covering puberty and things that are going to happen to their body, maybe going into anatomy and potentially even, you know, how life is created, how, how they'd go about that, though. They were going into many different aspects of it. And this was prior to the MSDE adopting the new framework. This was well before I decided to run. But that was my biggest main flag. It was the over-sexualized material that was being presented. And if I didn't know, there was probably a lot of other parents that didn't know. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you were elected, you'd be serving during the tenure of the first new superintendent that FCPS has had in about 11, 12 years. So how would you work with Dr. Dyson? And are there any things that you think could be changed or improved in the district as we enter this sort of new chapter in terms of leadership? Well, I think it's really great that um, Dr. Dyson seems to have a very strong drive to fix the special needs issues that we have across the board in FCPS. I think that needs to be a main focus is special education, you know, with everything that came out with the DOJ report, with the sheer amount of children that we're seeing struggling. And special education goes into so many different aspects. It's not just our, you know, severe emotionally disturbed children. It's not just the, you know, learning disabilities. There are a lot of children that need more support. You know, I've seen at multiple board of education meetings, you know, month after month, there are represent representatives from the dyslexic community. Mm-hmm. And they are trying to get more help, you know, for these children that still cannot read and are being, you know, then their only option is to go outside of the school system, private schools, tutoring, things like that, that their parents have to pay out of pocket for. We need to be doing better. And I'm hopeful that that is going to be a focus of hers. And I am very much looking forward to collaborating with her on that, having a background in special needs. It is definitely near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. Well, special needs and and the DOJ investigation was actually my next question. Um, How would you continue to sort of navigate the impacts of that investigation? And what changes would you try to make, if any, in the area of special education? So special education is a a touchy subject for a lot because the news came out and everybody was just, whoa, you know, how, how did this happen and nobody knew, right? I'm of the belief that there's no way nobody knew. And I think that one of the main Jobs of the board is to maintain and oversee what the superintendent is doing. They appoint the superintendent. They need to hold that superintendent accountable. I'm hopeful that Dyson has, you know, really good intentions for the special needs department and we can work collaboratively to improve some of the, you know, the ways that they're going about dealing with struggles between teachers and students. 
You know, we have to find the why behind what is causing the um, uptick in in the incidences that are happening. And I can tell you from firsthand, having worked with the severe emotional disturbances children in Colorado, it's difficult as an educator to go through that as well. So our teachers need a lot more support. Our SEIAs, the special education instructional assistants, they need a lot more support. And these students need to be um, taught better coping skills. So CPI training is something that they already do in Frederick County and across the United States. CPI is basically teaches you way more than just seclusion and restraint skills. It teaches That's crisis prevention intervention. Yes. Do you remember? Okay. Yes. Just yes, want to yes. make sure everybody's familiar with the oh, acronyms. I apologize. <laughs> no, yeah, all yeah. good. All good. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. So um, typically in Colorado, and I am admittedly still researching the way that Maryland works and Frederick County in particular. CPI training is yearly. One year you get certified and you have to do the huge main course. The following year you have to do a refresher. And that's how you keep your stuff up. One of the things that I'd like to help implement when I'm on the board is pods. So you can work with your special needs teachers and their instructional assistants and the, you know, the liaison for <clears throat> excuse me. All the liaisons that work with that core group of children, they can come together and they can practice holds, they can practice coping mechanisms, they can start learning their children a little bit more because understanding each individual child is how we actually progress into being able to tell when these things are coming so that we can help them to de-escalate before it gets too far. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that I would love to help implement when it comes to special needs and caring for our, not only the students specifically, but also the teachers. Okay. Uh, And you had already touched on this as well, but um, something I'm asking everybody about is the recent uh, discussion or debate, whatever you want to call it, in the community about the human sexuality curriculum. Um, I know you and several other candidates have been very outspoken about that. So I'm just wondering um, if you can explain a little bit more um, what your objections are to this curriculum and what you think about the way that this community discussion has been playing out in the last few weeks. Well, you know, I think it's incredibly complicated because the the people that I've been working collaboratively with, this has been something I have looked at for, like I said, over a year since before I wanted to be on the board for really just making sure that my children were getting proper biological, scientific-based information. I think a large portion of the community, mothers, you know, fathers, and even just caregivers are concerned with the direction that it's heading. And the lack of transparency, I think, is another huge issue because the trust between parents and educators, which should not be a problem, because the educators are not the ones that are putting this stuff into place. They are the ones being told to teach it. But let's just say the trust between parents and the schools, it's not there. So when there's a lack of transparency, they immediately are going to believe that there's something sinister going on. Like, why didn't I know about this? What are you trying to do? You know? So when you think about the way that this information was presented to the general public, it wasn't. It was done on an action consent agenda. It was something that was talked about by the MSDE three years ago. And now we're seeing it. 
So it's very difficult for parents to understand, like, where did this come from? They, they don't always know where to look or what to find. Transparency is the key to all of this. Transparency with the teachers and getting their input and actually listening is something that our board desperately needs to do. My personal opinion and what I've found to be a problem for most people that are objecting to this is the age at which it's being introduced. You know, health, when uh, when I was in school, which was a while ago, you know, was based on, in nutrition, physical activity, you know, understanding how to wash your hands and cover your mouth when you sneeze. Like it was basics at that level. And I think that's very important. But when you start adding in ideologies or things that some of the community does not believe to be true, that's where it gets tricky. You know, do I think that it's important to acknowledge different families and acknowledge different people and respect everybody across the board? Absolutely. And I've never said otherwise. However, much like religion, which is why you're seeing a lot of people come out of the woodwork talking about, you know, their faith – It is something that not everybody believes to be true. So we have to be careful how we navigate these types of things to not alienate half of the community by introducing this in an effort to, quote unquote, protect our LGBTQ community. It really doesn't have anything to do with the community. I have utmost respect for those people. I have utmost respect for all people. The problem is that when you have parents that do not agree with what you're teaching, and their views and their beliefs and their, you know, way of raising their children is being disrespected by saying, we don't care, this is what we're doing anyway, you're going to get that pushback. The board's supposed to be a liaison between the parents and the education system. And right now, they're just telling half of the parents, sorry, this is happening. That's just not the right way to do things. And just to be clear, when you're talking about, um, you, you kept mentioning things that not everybody believes in. I assume you're talking about the, the gender identity piece of it mostly. Is that fair? I just want to make sure we're being specific. Yes, the gender identity piece. I mean, we've seen an uptick in the last few years, just very recently. Gender um, d- dysmorphia is something that typically would occur in little boys, like young boys. Now we're seeing it change from young boys to adolescent females. And there's got to be a reason why that's happening. I don't know what it is. I'm not a doctor. And I don't know all of the ways that the Board of Education functions. I'm not a sitting member. However, the research that I've done, we have policy. there are policies already in place to protect this community, and they are still trying to introduce more policies that are divisive. There are educate. There's already education practices in place to teach children to love each other and respect each other. We need to build upon those in a way that is respectful to all families of all different beliefs if we're going to be talking about equality. All right. So switching gears here a little bit, um, something that both staff and board members and community members have been expressing a lot of concern about for a while now, but I think it's been elevated this year, is staff pay and how that relates to surrounding jurisdictions. Um It's pretty common for FCPS to lose educators to Montgomery County or Howard County. They can make a lot more money there. Um, So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how to mitigate these concerns of recruitment and retention that are really driving a lot of conversations at the school board right now. I think it all starts, honestly, with rebuilding the faith in the system. Right now, these teachers, unfortunately, are getting a lot of disrespect and horrible treatment because the parents do not trust the system. 
And much like, let's say, a restaurant, okay, you have your server, right? Your experience goes badly. That server is going to take the brunt of that damage. They're going to, you know, the customer is going to be really upset. The customer is going to be angry. The customer is not going to tip that person. It's the same thing as with a school that has so many working parts. That's why I try to avoid using the word school system because then you're clumping everybody together and not all of these folks are responsible for what's going on. And the teachers are taking the brunt of that damage and they're tired. We need to hire more staff so they're not overworked. We need to make sure that we maintain um, insurance for our instructional assistants. We need to make sure that there are opportunities for these teachers that are going to allow them to teach what they want to teach. A lot of teachers, and I've spoken to them, and they will always remain nameless. They don't want to teach a lot of stuff that's coming across their, their desk. They didn't sign up to do that. They signed up to inspire children. What kind of things are you talking about? Well, for one is the, you know, over-sexualized material that is popping up everywhere. The other thing is, you know, the language that they're having to use. Um, there are – the vernacular is changing. So as opposed to male, female, he, she, there's things that they have to do and say that are put in place with the right intentions to respect everybody. However, every single stipulation that you put in place that is pushing these teachers down and putting them in more of a box takes away some of that creativity and the drive. And when they can get paid a lot more in other counties, they're going to go to other counties. Say, well, if I have to take this abuse, if I'm not being respected, I might as well at least be getting paid more for it. If we can treat them better... And find ways in the budget to increase their salary to at least be competitive with other counties. It's going to help a lot. Mm-hmm. Without being able to look at the budget and have access to all of that information, not being a sitting board member, I'd have a hard time explaining to you how I would do that. But I'll work my tail off to make sure it happens. I have a soft spot for instructional assistance since I was one. Soft spot for special needs since I worked there. And definitely for our you know, elementary school teachers. Because I I was one. So these are all things that, you know, are near and dear to my heart. All of our educators deserve better than what we're doing right now. Mm. Okay. Um, so there's also been conversations about, you know, when we're talking about staffing, there's been some discussion lately about how over the last 10 or 15 years, Frederick County has become a lot more racially and ethnically diverse. And it makes sense, but the the teaching staff has not developed accordingly. Um, so the the demographics of our staff don't match the demographics of the community. FCPS has acknowledged this. It's not even really close. They have a long way to go on that front. So there's been some talk about hiring a uh, an HR person to specifically work toward minority recruitment and just a lot of conversations about how staff of color can feel more inclined to work for the school system or more included once they get there. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that that discussion. I would have to look more into it. I think that as long as we are maintaining, you know, making sure that everybody who comes into the school system has that same drive to teach, that same know-how, it would be great to have a mentorship program for children that are already in high school that have interest in becoming a teacher, mentoring them and giving them a reason to once they graduate, come back to FCPS where they went to school and teach There are a lot of children, and you're right, because our student body is more diverse, you're going to have more diversity in those students that want to teach. If we can find a way to mentor them and and connect with them and even do internships where we can start getting those children to feel like FCPS is not just where they 
were able to learn, but where they can now teach. Like connection between the students, the teachers, and the parents is paramount in so many moving parts of what we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. And what do you think about that idea of uh, the position in the HR department specifically focused on that goal? I think the HR department, I mean, I can tell you from firsthand experience, we need to make the process quicker in general. And I think that having a liaison who knows where to look for, for or go to these schools and put those recruitments in, talk to the students that want to do that. Having somebody that's working specifically with different demographics to help the student body mirror, you know, the teaching staff, it's, it's a great idea. We just need to make sure that we are hiring the best of every demographic. Mm-hmm. Okay. And speaking about um, racial diversity, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or reflections um, after this incident we had at Middletown Middle School a month or two ago. We have three eighth grade students facing hate crime charges um, in connection with a racist post that was shared on social media. And uh, that that incident has prompted a lot of discussion in the community, not just about that isolated incident, but about um, similar things that have happened before and and just uh, similar bias that some students and community members of color say they're facing in the schools regularly. So I'm wondering um, what you think about that and and any thoughts or um, plans you might make if you are elected to to address that concern. So that incident at Middletown Middle School was absolutely awful. And I would never, ever disagree with anyone on that. Those students were way out of line. And they are being held accountable for it. Should it have happened in the first place? Absolutely not. You know, and the discussions that have come from that and the community outpouring, especially in Middletown, and which has definitely spread to other areas, um, they want to mitigate. They want to find a way to make sure that that never happens again. I think that, again, it goes back to building that trust within the school system and outside sources like the parents, the caregivers, the students. You know, we need to come together as a community and show each other love and respect as a whole and make sure that none of that is tolerated. And, you know, right now we are looking at new policy that is being presented by the uh, Racial Equity Committee, which is an anti-racism policy. They will be talking about it actually this evening. Mm-hmm. And um, that policy is supposed to build off of three other policies that are already in place, well, two policies and one regulation that are already in place to protect our children and our staff members from these types of behaviors. The Racial Equity Committee, I'm, I'm going to speak, my belief is that they don't feel that there's enough protection and that the rules are clear enough. So they've started to create this policy and um, – I think in an effort to make sure that our minority students and staff are protected, we cannot forget that racism is not just about one demographic. It happens with lots of different demographics across the board. We have our Asian students. We have our Hispanic students. We have students that are Indian. We have students from every single demographic that probably deal with similar issues. We also need to make sure that we are protecting all of our students. Not just one group, not just this group, and definitely don't ignore anything that's going on. Middletown needed the attention that it got. That was unacceptable. But we do need to move forward in a way that is 
inclusive for all students and protects them all equally. Mm. Okay. Um, so you've talked a lot about transparency and building trust in the community, and that's something else that I've been asking a lot of folks about. Uh, if you look at the survey data from the firm responsible for hiring the new superintendent, it showed among the respondents pretty high levels of distrust or lack of confidence in, in the system. And I'm wondering, you know, you've, you've spoken a few times about how that's a concern of yours, so I'm wondering if you have any ideas about what you would do materially to try to address that and, and change that community perception. Yeah, well, I think that um, not only making sure that large items of concern that could be a concern to some of the of you know the parents and community do not get put on action consent which is a section of the board um, meetings on their agenda where they just have already spoken about it these things have already gone through the necessary steps to be approved and they just approve it it's not spoken about that area they have put some rather large things on like the framework for the family life and human sexuality that was on consent agenda which nobody realized and that's a big change that not only changes elementary school but it changes um, some of the curriculum going from ninth grade to eighth grade to seventh grade and an extra course for high school so that really should have been talked out in more detail so that the parents had that transparency. The other thing that I would do, and I believe I spoke with Brad Young, and he said that they are working towards doing this, but the committee meetings need to be televised and recorded. They do attempt to do minutes where they give descriptions, but those minutes are not full sentences. They're just dropping off at the end of sentences. Sometimes they are more inclusive than others. We definitely need to make sure that the community is involved. And if you are giving full transparency, Parents will have a chance to really see what's going on, make them feel like nothing's being hidden, and give them an opportunity to respond how they feel and how, you know, what they believe should should move forward. The other piece that I'd like to do, which I actually think was recommended by Mr. J, who sits on the board now, in Howard County, each teacher has a homepage, and on that homepage is different classes that they teach. And there's a link to their class and everything they'll be teaching, including the materials, the lesson plans, the frameworks, the curriculum, all of it. So it's very easy to access the books that are going to be read. That gives parents just boom. Okay, so my kid has Mrs. Jones for health and, and PE. They can go and look, click on health. They can see everything that's going on. To make that kind of database for each teacher – that would be fantastic. It would give parents a little bit of comfort that they can go and they can look at it and they can see it for themselves. Not just seven days, look at these books if you don't have a chance, whoops, sorry, but that it's available for you to just click on and see. There are lots of ways to improve transparency. And I think that um, I know that that's something that I'm confident I can do. Can you talk to me a little bit about your campaign strategy? I've noticed that you and some of the candidates that you've sort of aligned yourself with have been really active on social media. I'm wondering, I guess, how the campaign's going so far and what, what avenues you're trying to pursue to connect with voters. So I've been door knocking, which is great, going to different neighborhoods and knocking on doors, speaking to people face-to-face. Um, we have an event tomorrow night that we are doing where we're doing a screening of um, – what is it called? Uh Whose children are they? We are trying to get the news out about transparency, email, phone calls. Um, I We have summer events planned. 
But truthfully, it's just getting out into the public, being present and meeting people face to face because I think there's a lot to be said from shaking someone's hand, asking their questions, hearing their tone of voice. You know, that's kind of the reason I was grateful that you're doing this as a podcast and not just written word. Because I think when you hear someone's voice and you can hear the intention behind it, and it's not just one person's opinion of a message on Facebook, because that can get misconstrued. Hmm. Campaign so far, I mean, I've had good and I've had bad. The stuff that I'm talking about is divisive and our society as a whole is divisive. But I'm not going to sway from what I believe is right for Frederick County. Um, you know, I believe in supporting teachers, staff, students, and administrators, and the parents. And that will always be my message. And bringing the information to the parents, even now not sitting on the board, is something that I felt the need to do as a, as a mother. So I'll continue to do that. And I do want to say, just for the record, this will be published um, not – not today. So if you're listening, yeah. <laughs> we're recording this on May 11th. So when she's saying things like tomorrow night or tonight, that no longer applies. Um, all right. Well, last question as we get ready to wrap up here. Um, can you talk to me about why you think you are the best or one of the best candidates to fill this role? This is a really crowded field. Um, we have 16 candidates, which is more than there has been in at least five or six election cycles. So I'm just wondering what you think sets you apart and, and why voters should choose you. I love this question. I get asked it all the time. So being a mother of three, being a past educator in, in support staff, I'm not sure that there's been a support staff person on the board quite yet. There's been plenty of teachers, which is fantastic. They have the know-how. They have the knowledge. They understand the system. I understand a different aspect of it. I also was a teacher for a kindergarten enrichment program. Special needs, I have background in that. I have background in elementary school. I have been working with children since I was 14 years old. And Never did I actually think I'd run for office. However, when you feel that call, you need to do it. And I've div dived in head first. I'm already bringing transparency to the, to the parents, and I'm willing to talk with anybody about it. I think we need people on the board like myself that are going to stand up and be brave, have the hard conversations, and make the right decision for everybody, not just one specific group. I think that a sitting board member needs to be able to have conversations with people they disagree with. I can do that. They need to be able to compromise and make sure that as many people as possible are seen in the curriculum, are seen in the policies, and are respected and heard. I can do that. I'm willing to work hard every day, and I have the support of my husband, which is really important when you're campaigning and when you're doing something like this. I have absolutely – I'm not a politician – Okay, And I think that a lot of parents especially do not want to see politicians on the board. They want to see people that have children, that have background in education. I, can, I am all of those things. And researching, working with others, working hard, and seeing things from all angles, teachers, support staff, and parent. I want to be the one that sits on that board to show all of those people respect and make FCPS strong. Build those relationships, you know. I have a lot of ideas for building relationships between teachers and parents and getting parents more involved and giving them the opportunities. Now, whether or not they choose to get involved is their choice. That opportunity needs to be there. And then once it's there and once the transparency piece is there and we can start building that trust, 
that is where I believe I can make the most difference is helping to cultivate a better society and structural relationships between the parents and educators so that we can, again, work as a village to support our children through their academics. All right. Well, April Montgomery, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs>